Once upon a time, there was a world when there was no COVID-19. It was a magical era before anyone knew what an N95 mask was or the president told people to drink bleach. Yes, it was a different time indeed, but bad things still happened. Hurricanes and tornadoes, wildfires and floods, blizzards and earthquakes still ravaged the land. But not only the land, people too, their homes, their livelihoods. And when disaster strikes, Greg, who do people turn to? Ghostbusters? Do they turn to Ghostbusters? Sometimes. No, but... <laughs> I think maybe small businesses, if we're talking about small businesses, especially, I think, at least in the pre-pandemic era, many people didn't know where to turn to when <laughs> disaster would strike. Sure. For example, I don't really know how well known the Small Business Administration was, or even if people knew what things like disaster loan assistance was. But yeah, that's something that the SBA has done for a long time. And they made loans to people and to businesses uh, who had suffered substantial economic injury. So anyway, when disaster strikes, government money tries to come to the rescue <laughs> yeah. and uh, we're going to discuss one program in particular in this episode the economic injury disaster loan program aka idle that's right caleb this is american idle fraud if you'd like to earn cpe credit for listening to this episode visit earmarkcpe.com Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. This is Oh My Fraud, a true crime podcast where instead of obsessing over serial killers, we raz petty swindlers. I'm Caleb Newquist. And I'm Greg Kite. Greg, should we read a recent review? I, I would love to read a recent review. Do you have one uh, at hand? I, I do. I have one I? at hand. Uh, awesome. It's, 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 it's from a few months ago, but it's, it's perfectly fine. It's from Smokin' Idahoan, who gave, <laughs> who gave us five stars and wrote, quote, entertaining and informative, plus you can earn CPEs 1,000x better than webinars or self-study. Highly recommend. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Thanks, Smokin' Idahoan. And for anyone else out there, please rate the show and leave us a review, and one of us will read it on a future episode. Uh, yeah. Greg, do you have any memories of natural disasters growing up? Uh, I, I do, as a matter of fact. Uh, and, and it's kind of a funny memory because even at my advanced age, I very specifically remember the morning of Sunday, May 18th, 1980, because that's the, that is the day that Mount St. Helens uh, blew in Southwestern Ooh. Washington state. Yeah. Big one. So I, I was, I was just, it was just days before my eighth birthday and, okay. and the, and the, and it's so funny because what I remember, I don't remember the explosion of the eruption. What I remember is my mom rushing into me and my brother's room and going, Oh my gosh, is everybody okay? Because me and my brother totally slept through it. Slept through the we whole did, thing. Did, yeah. We had no idea why, but then obviously like at school we're watching the news, it was a big damn deal. Yeah. Uh, what had happened, but, but yeah, so obviously it, it woke my mom up and freaked the hell out of her. She said that she, cause she was shocked that we did not wake up with it. Cause she right. said it sound, this is, this is her quote that I remember again from when I was eight. She said, it sounded like a boulder fell through our carport because, uh, <laughs> you know, you think about it, like the corrugated metal of a carport and a big ass yeah. boulder that paints yeah. a good picture. Also, yeah. we were we were some of the fancy people in Mount Lake Terrace, Washington, because we had a carport. But but here's the crazy thing about it, like what my mom said and how bad it freaked her out. We lived like well over a hundred miles away from where Mount St. Helens was. I think I was I was trying to look it up on Google uh, Maps, and they only so I, I I wasn't able to figure out like crow flies miles. 
because yep. obviously sound wouldn't take the interstate to get to us. Uh, but but yeah, it, no, one wouldn't. way or another, we're over 100 miles away from it and still sounded like a boulder crashing through our carport. Um, that is a good one. Yeah, I wondered. You, I, I wondered. I wondered if you were going to bring that up because right, it occurred to me. It's like because you grew up in Washington. It, yeah, that. yeah, exactly. But do you, anyway, do you have do you have any? I'm assuming because again, I know where you grew up, mm-hmm. so I, I assume yeah. that you have disasters. And my guess, I have a very specific disaster in mind as to what yes. your natural disasters are where you oh. lived. <laughs> oh, you do? Oh, yes. Okay, so yeah, um, most most people who listen to the show know, but I grew up in Nebraska. Uh, you know, on the on the Great Plains. Yep. And um, I have countless memories <laughs> uh, yeah. from my youth of tornadoes. Oh, like, <laughs> wait, like, like tornado, like getting the, because what, they got like sirens, like just hearing sirens or actual yeah. tornadoes touching down in your city? Whatever. I mean, so it bears some explanation. Yes, we had whistles. I lived in a small town and okay. people who grew up in small towns know that, like uh, when there's uh, emergencies, like whistles blow, okay. right? And uh-huh. so, yeah, we would they would blow whistles for tornado watches and tornado warnings, probably mostly for tornado warnings. I don't know if they blew them for watches. Okay. But um, where I lived in Nebraska, we, we, uh, we, were, in, we were located in Valley County, and okay. guess where it got its name? Um, and so- was it, a, was, it like a, was it like on the top of a hill? Yeah, you got it. Nice. Anyway, <laughs> because we were in a valley- uh, oh. it, it was, it was difficult for, it was difficult for the tornadoes to actually reach the town. They oh, would, it was harder for them to touch down in those areas, okay. but there was all, the conditions for tornadoes was like every, like every summer, like yeah. multiple times a summer, like yeah. the, tor- the lots of severe weather. And so sure. like tornado watches, you know, they're a dime a dozen. So on June 3rd, 1980, seven tornadoes touched down in or near Grand Island, Nebraska, uh, and killed five wow. people and injured 200. Oh, uh, shit. And so quite the thing. So tornadoes, tornadoes are definitely like, it's, it's kind of in my psyche at all times. But yeah. you know, it's weird yeah, is yeah. like, like talk to, I talked to some people and some people are just terrified of tornadoes. Yeah. And sure. like, when I think about them, I don't really think about, I, I, the fear is not something I experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, it yeah. is, it is like, uh, Wholesome living is what I kind of <laughs> right, right. Like that's like eating that's a fresh nostalgia. apple while chew, chewing on a a stalk of grass in the back of your grandpa's. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of nostalgic kind of and yeah. romantic. <laughs> so, um, so natural disasters. Here's here's another crazy thing. Uh, it, not that I've experienced, but I just uh, and and again, not a humble brag. Uh, this is this is a full on cocky brag. Oh, I just I just closed on uh, buying a condo. Uh, on the Big Island of Hawaii. Oh, nice! So I, I am now, I now own a a, a vacation home in Hawaii, which in is very In proximity cool. of an active volcano. It, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Nice. You can't, and so, you can't escape it, Greg. In paradise, though. Right, worth it. So, historically. Economic injury disaster loans, idle, if you remember. Yes. They've been for small businesses, small agricultural cooperatives, and most private nonprofit organizations. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. What does small mean? The best that I can... <laughs> I, lo- I love that you say that because it has to be... It's a, Since all this stuff is like government uh, programs... It's all well defined, exactly well defined. What's small, but yes. but also the 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 level of detail they get into with their definitions of small can can give can give you a brain freeze. Yeah. So let me just preemptively state that there's a lot of accountants in our audience, and if we get something wrong, they're going to scream at their mobile device, right, or or wherever they get their podcasts. Uh, and so if we get something wrong, just gently correct us in an email or something and we will be fine. Yeah. But to, we, we know, we we know this, you're smarter than us. It's okay. Yes. We're yeah. fine. Yeah. But so if we, so we are going to say some things and 
like some of these details. I think we got most of it right, but if we didn't, yeah. just let us know, okay? And, 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 and generally, because it's not, we're not a tax podcast and we're not a uh, governmental compliance podcast, a lot of it's just oversimplification for the sake of time. Right. right. Yeah. So, small. <laughs> what does small mean? Because my friend Greg is correct. These, uh, these, these government programs tend to define literally everything. And so in this case, to the best that I could find, small generally means a business with fewer than 500 employees, which... Cool. Many people would say that's not a small business. But, Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But for the purposes of many of these programs, including Idle, it is okay. So that's number one. Number two, what about substantial economic injury? What does that mean? Again, seems more nebulous, but also seems like the government's going to try to lock that shit down. Right. So according to the Small Business Administration's website. That is when a, quote, business is unable to meet its obligations and pay its ordinary and necessary operating expenses. That sounds nebulous and doesn't sound like they really locked that down. Right. <laughs> a lot of subjectivity to that definition. Right. A few more details. The SBA can provide an idle for up to $2 million at an interest rate no greater than 4% a year and for a term up to 30 years, depending on the borrower's ability to repay the loan. Yes. Okay. Yep. Tracking, Greg. I'm, totally, I'm right. I'm, I'm right there with you. This okay. is bringing back a lot of the uh, the PTSD from the uh, pandemic days. So yes, Fant I'm, fantastic. I'm, I'm there with you. It's the it's the PTSD we all share. Right. Right. A few more important details. Idle assistance is available only to small businesses when SBA determines they are unable to obtain credit elsewhere. Ah, uh, gotcha. You can't get a. You can't. You're out of you're out of credit, so we'll we'll step yeah. in. I, yeah, I get you. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. A business may qualify for both an idle and a physical disaster loan. So that's another program that the SBA does. Okay. The maximum combined loan is the two million. Still okay. two million. Gotcha. Now here's one other thing that I that I believe. Well, not that I believe that I know happened at least with the COVID nineteen pandemic. Uh, yeah. Idle loans is that they all like they loaned the money during the pandemic but they didn't require uh, repayment of the loan until like for, I think it was like either 12 or 24 months after you, you actually got the money. So there right. also, it seems like another aspect of this is there could be deferment of your payment initially, uh, at least until I guess the SBA determined that the, the disaster was over. Yeah. 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 That, that sounds familiar to me. I don't remember the exact details, but I do. Yeah, I, I know. I, I know that. I know that happened for, again. I can't remember if it was no. twelve or twenty-four months, but I do know that that happened with uh, COVID nineteen idle loans. Okay. Now, there is one more important thing that needs defined here, Greg. Do you know what it is? Uh huh. We don't know what a disaster is. Oh right. Yeah, it makes sense. Right. So we have to define a disaster. Okay. So what constitutes yeah. a disaster? Yeah, because yeah, because it's like yeah, because you have to have su substantial economic injury. So we had to define that, but yeah. that injury had to come from a disaster. So yeah, yeah I guess you have to define so, what a disaster so is. Disaster too. has to be defined. For disaster loans, that means you have to have been impacted by a federally declared disaster. So okay, the the uh, let's just say that if you have your if you have doubts about the government, then what the government decides is a federally declare, declared disaster is probably not giving you much comfort. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, really? Do you, do, why do you think there too? Because I did look at the SBA's uh, list of of the currently declared disasters on their website. I did. I did look, and it, and it looked like there was lots. They had. I was like, oh, there was plenty. there was probably two dozen just in this year so far. Right. And I guess what all I'm getting at is like, if you, if you, if you're, you know, if you're more conservative, you've, if you kind of like, if you, if you fall on that end of the political spectrum, then you're probably kind of cynical about what the government says and says, says and doesn't say is a disaster. That's what I was getting at. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I get what you're saying. It's to like, your point, it's like, oh, you stubbed your toe. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. Here's $2 million. Right. But to your point, yes, the SBA you, you, it's very easy to find the federally, there is a page for federally declared disasters and it's very long and it has the cause and like, very long. and when it started, yeah. when it was, or when it was officially declared anyway. So anyway, as you might expect, when the COVID-19 pandemic struck, 
it was a big fucking disaster. <laughs> right. Although, to your point, not really... I mean, it's not a disaster like... I mean, when we talked about disasters, we weren't talking... You know, none of us brought up... We, we both brought up disasters that happened in the 1980s. None of us uh, yes. said that, you know, the, 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 talked about AIDS as being a disaster. Right. So, so, right. so the whole idea of like a, like a, yeah, of a pandemic of a of public health of, crisis, a mm-hmm. public health crisis being a disaster. Yep. Exactly. That's, yep. that seems outside of the box, but also makes sense. Yeah. And so during this particular disaster, a lot more people started learning about economic injury disaster loans. Very quickly, because all 50 states were declared eligible for disaster assistance during the pandemic. This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by the South Carolina Association of CPAs, also known as SCA CPA. Hey, Caleb, you know I love diving into a juicy fraud case with you, right? But check this out. There's a place where accountants get together and talk shop and share knowledge about everything accounting related, including stories about untamed financials. Oh, tell me more, Greg. At every single one of my state CPA society events, there's a mountain of practical insights and experience. You get to meet other accountants, share knowledge, and even hear some firsthand accounts of financial intrigue. And here's the kicker, Caleb, you'd be hard pressed to find a better place for networking. I joined my state society as an undergrad during the depths of the Great Recession, and before I graduated, I had multiple job offers, all from firms that I connected with through my state society. Hey, that all sounds pretty good, Greg, but what else does a state CPA society bring to the table? Uh, They bring lifelong professional friendships, networking that'll turbocharge your career, and leadership opportunities. And on top of all that, your state CPA society is an unwavering advocate for you and for the profession. State CPA associations keep their fingers on the pulse of the constantly shifting business, regulatory, and legislative landscapes to keep you on the cutting edge and to protect the CPA profession. And as you know, protecting the profession means securing your livelihood. And hey, wherever you're tuning into the podcast from, be it the Palmetto State or some other state with a lamer nickname, there's a CPA association in your corner ready to ignite your accounting journey. If you're ready to find out why CPA Association membership is for you, head on over to ohmyfraud.promo slash SCACPA. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash SCACPA. Because of the unprecedented nature of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, a lot of changes were made to the IDLE program so that more businesses could access the funds and so that and so that those funds could be accessed more quickly. So for starters, the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, we knew that as the CARES Act, that passed in March 2020, that attributed 10 billion dollars in funds to the Idle program. Also, the CARES Act allowed businesses applying for Idle loans to obtain a $10,000 advance within three days of their application being received. And that $10,000 advance was treated like a grant. So it meant that it's just like, you're in, you're in trouble. Here's some money. You don't have to repay it. It's a grant. We're granting you this money. So, yep. so just don't die on us here. <laughs> again, it's, it's, a, it's emergency, emergency cash for emergency needs. Yep. It makes total sense to me. Yep. Um, the, the only catch was, with that advance, it had to be used on payroll, rent, or mortgage payments, or increased cost of materials or supplies, or for other obligations that couldn't be met due to a loss in revenue. So we all remember this pretty clearly. Uh, you know that that's very similar to the requirements that they had for PPP loans and what those funds could be spent on. But yeah, so like we said, pay, payroll, rent, mortgage, and and increased costs, which I'm glad that that was part of it because I I didn't expect the supply chain issues and the uh, you know the scramble for different uh, materials during that time. So that was that seemed like a like a very prescient thing for them to include in that. Now some people probably don't remember this, but in those early heady days of the pandemic. All the emergency funds allocated to programs like PPP and like Idle, they all ran out. Like, yeah. do you billion, remember that? 
I, d- I do remember that. And I remember it. Yeah. I remember that. Well, the main thing that I remember was because I was on, because I, I, I did apply for a PPP loan for my, for the two businesses that I, that I run. And I, and the, the main thing I remember is going, everybody saying the money can and likely will run out. So yep. get your application in as soon as you possibly can so that you don't, so you're not left left out in the cold. So I I made sure I was as front of the line as I could with getting my stuff put in, and we fortunately did get PPP dollars in the first round, which was which was great. But yeah, like they did run out. They did indeed run out, and there was countless desperate businesses that didn't get any of the aid that they desperately needed during that time. Yep. Um. The for for instance, just as an example, the Paycheck Protection Program had uh three hundred and forty nine billion dollars when it first opened its floodgates of financial relief to the people on April third of twenty twenty, and it ran out. Exactly 13 days later, on April 16th, 2020. Uh, so yeah, the 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 money was desperately needed and got uh, got gobbled up quickly. That's nuts uh, to me. That by the way, that that is just like we're we're over three years removed from that now. Yeah, and like the the idea that that much money was yeah. just it just it all got sent out. Yeah, is 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 bananas right well and you know maybe this is a maybe this is a you know maybe i'm putting this out there too soon in the podcast but uh, we we did talk about this on our ppp episode where i'm i'm struck with the fact that the government is in a rock and a hard place in situations Mm -hmm. like this where they can either get the money out fast to help people but then they're gonna then they're gonna get raked over the coals for the fact that it was too sloppy how they did it. But yep. you can't be fast and not be sloppy, or you can roll it out in a much more systematic way, much more careful way. But then it's gonna go a whole lot slower, and you're not gonna be able to help the people who really need the help. So, very much a rock and a hard place. And 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 I would say from my snowflake position that I that I live in, I'm happy that they. They got the stuff out quickly to yeah. the people who needed it. That's that's my personal opinion. But but that was that was the PPP money. But Idle, yeah. uh, you know, was wasn't exactly the same program. And and fortunately, Idle and its accompanying grant programs that we just talked about, they they were replenished by the Paycheck Protection Program and by the Healthcare Enhancement Act, which passed in April 2020. Uh, which added another ten billion for the advances, those grants, and another mm-hmm. fifty billion for the actual idle loans. Uh, so there was there was money that kept getting, re- and and we know that the PPP loans also got refreshed. So there was there was a, a, a constant spigot of money that was being put into these things, and with all this, as you might expect, and as I alluded to, and as we saw with the Paycheck Protection Program on prior podcasts. So much money sloshing around, specifically in the idle program, it attracted the attention of a lot of people who had less than the best intentions with what they could do with a shit ton of government handouts. Let's start with some stats. According to a report dated April 28th, 2022, the Small Business Administration approved over 3.9 million loans for a total of $378 billion. Wait, 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 wait. Are you talking 3.9 million idle loans or is that idle plus PPP? No, that's idle. The report, wow. It, it's, it, it's in the show notes. It's the most recent report I could find from the SBA. Okay. So I know we jumped ahead because you were just talking about in the, you know, you were just talking about a minute ago the replenishment of, you know, of idle for 50 billion. Yeah. I don't, again, I don't recall all the steps along the way where like funds were replenished or whatever, but that SBA report is in the show notes. The numbers are they're like on the second or third page. It's all there. Um, those are the idle figures. Gotcha. Okay. But they're still, they're, they're eye popping. They are 3.9 million idle loans. loans? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a crazy number of loans. Yeah, unfortunately, I could not, I had a hard time finding a more recent number. So if anyone knows of a more recent, more accurate number that's been reported, please let us know. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. 
so this report, that report I just mentioned was was issued in in 2022. However, there were signs of trouble in this program long before that. The SBA's Inspector General, uh, its internal audit department, if you will, they issued a report in October of 2020. So we're just like getting things are just starting to get interesting in October of 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because I mean, basically six months into the pandemic, yep. the SBA is already going. Oh, this is we're having some troubles here with the old right. idol program. Yeah. Wow. So here's here's what that report said. Again, in the show notes. Uh, I'm quoting now, as of July 31st, 2020, SBA had received over 14 million COVID-19 idle applications of which it approved 3.2 million for a total of $169.3 billion. Additionally, SBA had dispersed 5.8 million emergency advance grants for $20 billion. So we're talking about $190 billion in July of 2020 and i i did wow. some i did some very uh simple math and because greg is a former middle school math teacher he's going to keep me honest that <laughs> approval rate is basically 23 uh, percent. so 3.2 million loans yeah. 14 million applications yeah okay okay that makes about 23 percent. yeah not great not great no, well so, great yeah. more than three quarters of the people who are applying are not getting any aid at all Right. right. But, uh, but, but again, so I hear what you're saying, but also it does mean that they're not just handing checks to everybody. Fair enough. Yeah. So true. True. And also if you are, you know, keeping score at home, if you average the 3.2 million, 3.2 million loans, 169 billion in proceeds, average loan size of about $53,000. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That, for some reason, that feels that feels about right because yeah. we're talking because again we're talking small businesses like Ver, yes. Verizon isn't getting an idle loan. Certainly not. Certainly not. Um, and again, just for those people scoring at home, for the advances, five point eight million advances, twenty billion dollars average advance, about thirty five hundred bucks, which okay. is weird because they were gonna grant they were granting people ten grand. Yeah. So that. I don't know. I'm kind of like, eh, I, whatever. Yeah. That, well, and again, here's the thing. We talked about this a little bit before we started recording. The the requirements, the different, all of the stuff. We That's why there's the PTSD involved with all this stuff. Because they would say, oh, hey, you just apply for it. And we'll just cut you a check right away for 10 you know, for $10,000. But then they're like, oh, wait, but then you have to do this math because you might not qualify for all 10,000. And later they're like, oh, we're just going to give everybody... I mean, I don't remember all the math, but that's how everything felt where it's like, here's the rules today. And then tomorrow's yeah. like, oh, we decided to change them a little bit. And then the next day it's like, oh, we're back to it because that was too much of a pain in the ass and and all this stuff. So uh, so yeah, the whole idea that they were all $10,000, but the math doesn't work out. It's like, yeah, that's because everything was in constant flux every goddamn day yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah. So in that same inspector general report, I'm, I'm quoting again, but there's more stuff that is not going to make you feel great. So okay. here we go. Uh, quote, based on our analysis of SBA's COVID-19 idle data, as of July 31st, 2020, we found SBA approved 14.3 billion, 13.4 billion dispersed in idle and COVID idols to accounts that differed from the original bank accounts listed on the loan applications. Okay. Okay. Not, okay. Not great, probably, right? Right. Well, y yes and I mean it it, it it would seem that se I could see that being a red flag. I could I I could see why that might happen in real life though too. Sure. Okay. Fair enough. I'll continue. 62.7 billion, 58 billion dispersed in multiple COVID-19 idols to applicants using the same IP addresses, email addresses, bank accounts or businesses listed at the same addresses okay again definitely a red flag for some of those things mm -hmm. but again i i uh, i run multiple businesses and i applied for ppp loans for both of them likely from the same email address for the two businesses so 
I, I can see where that would raise some eyebrows. I think that's a red flag needs to be looking more, but I could also see legit where that's legitimate in some cases, which is probably why they dispersed it. Cause they said it's a red flag. We're not going to look into it because we just need to get money to people who are hurting. So right. I, I get it. I get, I get the hesitancy, but I don't, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily for sure means that there's nefarious uh, players at work. Okay. Finally, 1.1 billion in COVID-19 idols and emergency advance grants to potentially ineligible businesses. Okay. I, I have nothing to say yeah. with that. Okay. <laughs> because, cause, cause again, if they, if they know they're potentially ineligible businesses and they just decide to give them the, the, the grants, they, they know what they're, they know what they're doing. Yeah. And they're, just, again, they're just trying to help because potentially those, a lot of those are probably are eligible businesses. So get them the money. Right. Just one little bit of thing to put, this all in context. Remember we said uh, 169 billion in idle loans yes. were made. Just to give you an idea, that, and it was over 3 million loans that were made. For hurricanes Katrina, Rita, and Wilma, the SBA approved just over 160,000 loans oh. for a total of $11 billion. Okay. Uh, although, yeah. I mean, and again, because we're, we're talking all 50, everyone in all 50 states was declared to be in a disaster zone whereas the yep. the hurricanes are very are very localized so. concentrated so, yes yeah. yeah so it does it does make sense but yeah that is that it does it, but also shows you the scope of what we're, we were dealing with with uh with coronavirus so. yeah and the fact that the sba really wasn't built to handle this kind of right scale absolutely right absolutely okay all right the report includes a section on inaccurate and incomplete data, which is very interesting. I read through it. Yeah. Uh, this includes a table of, quote, vague borrower names, which noted 1,148 loans made to borrowers named Uber and 342 called N slash A, N-A. Right. So. For their name. That's for their name. For that's their name. weird. Yeah. Yes. There were also nearly a quarter of a million approved loans that didn't have bank information at all. Fortunately, only 136 of those were dispersed. So right. Not, Which not even bad. there you kind of, well, I mean, I guess they could cut a check and send it to an address, but right. yeah, it seemed, it seemed like the whole thing was, well, and, and again, maybe I'm thinking more of the PPP loan, but you had to apply for a PPP loan through your bank. So you, bank information was pretty much right there. But yeah, also we're, you know, out of 250 thousand only 136 with no bank information got the money so yeah it was a very very small percentage okay shortly after all that the report notes quote sba management disagreed with the audit findings we report here it went on to say quote overall management stated it disagreed with the findings because there were insufficient evidence that loans were approved and dispersed to ineligible businesses but despite this the agency is taking corrective actions to fully implement our recommendations. So Caleb, let's get into a couple of cases now, shall we? Absolutely. Nice. In July, 2020, a gentleman named Vinath Odomsign of Dublin, Georgia, applied for an idle loan for an entertainment services business that he had with 10 employees and gross revenues of $235,000 a year. And on August 4th of 2020, the SBA deposited $85,000 into Vinath's bank account. Then in January, 2021, Vinath spent $57,789 of that money on, and this is, it's like hard to even say it out loud. He, he spent over 50, almost $58,000 on a Pokemon trading card is what he what he did. A awesome. business expense for an entertainment company? That's a stretch. Maybe. A Pokemon, any Pokemon, Pokemon trading card for $58,000? That no. No. What Vinath, no. And then you you might be asking which card. I'm not asking which card cuz it doesn't matter what card. You're $58,000? No. But you might be saying, so which which Pokemon card was it? And I'll tell you which card it was. 
according to the New York Times, it was a first edition Char- Charizard. Charizard? Charizard. Charizard? Yeah, chorizo. I think it's a chorizo. It's a chorizo. I think it's a spicy spicy Mexican sausage card. No, it's Charizard, which was released in 1999, and Charizard is this dragon-like Pokemon creature. So the assistant U.S. attorney in Georgia stated the painfully obvious to the New York Times, quote, I would say a Pokemon card is quite a novel scenario. Xavier A. Cunningham, an assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District of Georgia, said on Tuesday, quote, we don't inherently know what the market is for these cards. We had to hustle to find someone uh, to give us a valuation for it. Uh, yeah, and the valuation is going to be a lot less than 58000 damn dollars. Uh, the best part of this article is the collector slash expert that they spoke to who totally slammed Vinath's purchase. Uh, so again, this is from that article. Charlie Herlocker, a Pokemon card expert and dealer, which also, just pause, I hate it. That I mean, I, I hate that someone is a Pokemon, Pokemon card expert even more than I hate that there are people whose job is influencer or life coach. The fact that someone... <laughs> puts on their tax return under occupation Pokemon card expert that bought, that just reflects a how old I am and B how how irritable I can be uh, at times but anyways so but please Greg please proceed because I'm I enjoying will. I'm enjoying irritated Greg so, so Mr Mr Herlocker this purported Pokemon card expert said that even if the cards purchase had been legitimate, it was an ill-advised one on Mr. Odomsign's part. Quote, he was buying at the peak of the market, Mr. Herlocker said. It was a terrible short-term purchase. Nobody was willing to pay more than him. Mr. Herlocker said, first edition base sets of the Charizard cards are especially coveted if they are in pristine condition, the highest grade of, that the card can get. Cards graded 9 or 9, 9.5 are more readily available than those with a grade of 10, like the one that Mr. Herlocker said he bought for $220,000. Still ridiculous. He noted that a card with that grade was sold for $336,000, on March 4th by heritage auction, a sum that included the buyer's premium. So again, he's saying that there's Charizard cards that are worth way more than even what Odom signs spent on his, but they were, I guess, better pristine, Char- pristine, but yeah, Greg. they, they were pristine. nobody, no fingerprint. I'm, all I can think of is, is comic book guy from the Simpsons now on this. The, uh, but but uh, her, her locker goes on to say, this is the most desirable card in the hobby, uh, but the federal government could have a hard time right now recouping the amount that Mr. Odomside paid for the card, uh, according to Mr. Herlocker. Quote, if they hired me as a professional consultant, he said, my advice would be to hold out, which I think what he means is don't sell the car right now, card right now. Wait for inflation and scarcity to catch up with the incredibly high price that Mr. Uh, Odom signed paid for his card. I, I, I have to say, but it, it probably sounded more like this is the most desirable card in the hobby. <laughs> if they hired me as a professional consultant. My advice would be to hold out. Like I, that's my best comic book guy. I don't know. Right, if that's any that was good. Like, Most desirable card ever. <laughs> no, you, no, you may not have this pristine <laughs> Charizard. No, you may not. It belongs to me. So that's that. Imagine <laughs> that, was, that was solid. Yeah, nice. I'm but impressed. That, but that is, but that like, if Charlie Herlocker, if you're l- listening, Charlie, we're sorry. Okay, you have a very strange job, but you have to admit, you're you're a real life comic you, book guy. You might be a comic book guy. You from absolutely the are a real real life comic book guy. And, but also think about this from the other perspective. 
poor Vinath Odomsign. I mean, he was the perpetrator, but he yes. gets some sympathy from me, from us, because not only did he spend his idle loot in one of the nerdiest ways possible, he then got roasted by the nerdiest guy possible in the New York Times in front of the whole world. Yeah. So <laughs> you you did an idiot thing destroyed by yeah. the by the person who got bullied by everyone in in middle school so yep it's just <laughs> it, which i guess is a little bit of poetic justice so to to to, to round out the story in, in october 2021 vinath odom pled guilty to one count of wire fraud he was sentenced to 36 months in prison uh, and also ordered to pay $85,000 in restitution. I believe that I looked into this. He was also, so it was 85000 in restitution plus a $10,000 fine on top of that. And oh. according to federal prison records, he's serving his time in, a, in Atlanta RRM and is scheduled to be released in February 2024. So you're almost done there, Vinath. Just hold on. Greg, uh, when I say the state of Florida, what comes to mind for you? Uh, the things that come to mind to me are uh, don't say gay, mm. uh, illegal drag shows, yep. and uh, alligators riding jet skis while smoking meth. Those are the those are kind of the three top ones. Mm, yeah, and Mickey Mouse. Okay, or not? If you said Orlando for sure, but oh, just Florida in general, yeah, I don't know. Florida's so. Here, here's the point. <laughs> Florida has kind of a reputation. What? Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a reason that I guess Florida man, Florida man. Yeah. Has has its own Wikipedia page. Yep. It, it's in the show notes. A very thorough researcher. Yeah. Not surprising to me yeah. at all. That Wikipedia page says that Florida man originated as an internet meme in 2013. However... I found an Onion article from 2007 entitled, quote, Florida man beats out heart disease as nation's number one killer. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's where the legendary scourge of Florida man really began. I'll tell you, I so I'm a I'm a religious watcher of The Daily Show, and they had a wonderful segment about the about Florida man and and why Florida man is a thing and apparently it all relates back to Florida having somewhat unique laws in terms of being able to of how the courts can publicize the crimes of the people in their state so ah. there's something about just a little bit ex, more transparency or earlier transparency uh, of what criminals did in Florida than elsewhere that at least contributes to the the myth of the Florida man Yes. And just a little bit more fun context. In part of the research I did, I read something that said Florida is currently, uh, we're recording this in 2023, is a third most populous state in the country. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course. The majority of the people currently living in Florida have moved there in the last, basically in the last 75 years. So like the population boom in Florida over the last six or seven decades has been like bananas yeah and so like you have all these people moving to this place it has these kind of florida is known for, like you say it has these weird laws and kind of kind of libertine attitudes in certain ad in yeah, parts yeah, yeah. of the state and so yeah. like it is it's it's kind of a madhouse down there and so bit. that's that that also kind of plays into it yep anyway our next story fits in perfectly <laughs> Uh, as 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 and it it concerns Joseph Harding of Williston, Florida, and Williston is about thirty minutes south of Gainesville, which is in North Central Florida. If you care to be kind of geographically oriented, yeah. Now, we always make this kind of caveat: our geography is for shit, particularly it's Texas so geography. Bad. Yeah. So just it's if you care to verify, look it up not, for yourself. Yeah, yeah, our our feelings aren't going to be hurt, but that's where this is going on. Not at all, right. Joe. It's not a geography podcast, but it's weird that geography plays its way into every single podcast. Seems to, yeah, seems to. Yep. Anyway, 
Joe, Joe Harding studied construction management at the College of Central Florida and at Florida International University, although he did not earn a degree. Mm, no, judgment. no judgment? Yep. Oh, no? Oh, no judgment? Or, or judge, okay. No judgment? Judgment. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> judgment, I guess. He worked as a project manager in construction and founded a landscaping company in 2018. Okay? Okay. In 2020, Joe Harding of Williston, Florida, won a seat in the Florida House of Representatives, quote, on a conservative message, representing the 22nd district as a Republican. Yeah, and again, just with Florida's reputation, a particularly conservative message in Florida just seems like he's he's got to be like a, you know, what was it the Westboro Baptist? Was he was he on the board ah. of West That's what that's like what comes to mind with someone in Florida claiming a particularly conservative message. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, a Florida conservative message will will probably resonate with uh, those Westboro Baptist uh, Looney right. Tunes, but those those particular Looney Tunes are uh, they're Kansas. They're in Kansas. Oh, they're in Kansas. They are in Kansas. Oh, okay. Yes. I, I mm -hmm. thought they were in Florida. Again, I mean, probably they travel well. because of the, they travel well, well. It might just be because of Florida's reputation. I go, they're crazy. They're from Florida. Yeah. So yeah. See reputation. That's exactly. Anyway, Joe quickly made a name for himself not only in Florida polit not just in Florida politics, but nationally, and. I'm going to tell you why. In 2021, he introduced the Parental Rights in Education Bill, which was commonly referred to in the media as the Don't Say Gay Bill. Ah, that was one of my three that I yeah. thought of with Florida. Yeah. I win. Ding, 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 ding. I, like I just won Family Feud. Thank you. Right. It's right. an honor. So for those not familiar, there was a provision in this legislation that gained a lot of attention because it prohibited Florida teachers from discussing LGBTQ related topics in kindergarten through third grade, among other provisions that targeted LGBTQ children and their families. So, so this guy was the mastermind of all of that. Yes, he was. He was the original sponsor of the bill. In 2022, Harding even introduced an amendment to that bill that would out gay kids to their parents within six weeks of the school's learning that the child was not heterosexual. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't have it's, much to say. Yeah, that's, yeah. Both the bill, the original bill, and this amendment got a lot of national attention, national attention most of it uh, negative, as you, well, would hopefully imagine. Right. Um, as as the, you can feel, feel from the two hosts of this podcast. Yeah. Um, that, that, uh, for what it's worth, the outing amendment was eventually withdrawn. So, Which is nice to hear. I actually did not know that. I heard about the outing part of it. I did not hear that that was withdrawn. So that's actually some good news, it, in yeah, my it, opinion. Yeah, they, they managed to yank that bit. Nice. Anyway, so that's a bit about Joe Harding. Uh, look, let's be honest here. He's a top seller at the jerk store. This yeah. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Take a look at this guy. If you got a chance, there's plenty of stuff in the show notes. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he's the original prototype for the 1980s jock villain. Absolutely. He's, uh, he, he's, he's a scowling five head in some yeah. of those pictures. Yeah. Yeah. He looks like he was voted most likely to drive angry in high school. Right. Like he, he has, he has a resting second amendment face. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. If you Google who should women avoid at the bar at all costs, his photo comes up. He looks like he's cosplaying someone who was rejected from military enlistment. This guy decided to use his political position to join a stupid culture war against queer folks instead of doing anything remotely useful whatsoever. <laughs> right. So here we are. Here, now, here we go. Despite this widespread national backlash, the original bill passed both the Republican-controlled Florida House and Senate and was signed into law by Florida Governor Meatball. <clears throat> Sorry. By, it was signed into law by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in March 2020. Since we discussed tornadoes at the top of the show, I'll just make one note that after this bill was signed into law, a tornado damaged Joe Harding's house in Ocala, Florida. And as you might expect... <laughs> People took that as a sign. All right. Have we, I think we've been enjoying ourselves a little too much. Possibly. Um, anyway, 
despite the a tornado hitting Joe Harding's house, which for what it's worth, he wasn't home, but his family was. And, you know, his family everybody's is okay. Everybody's, everybody's fine. Okay. Everybody's okay. fine. Good. He's got young kids. The kids are fine. Okay. So, you know, good, good. But there is a, actually a much more satisfying silver lining to this story. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. Okay. That silver lining is that on December 7th, 2022, a federal grand jury returned a six count indictment against Joe Harding for wire fraud, money laundering, and making false statements to the small business administration related to an economic injury disaster loan. Nice. <laughs> God. For, wait, for the tornado specifically? No, no, okay. no, 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 no. Okay. No. no. Well, I'll, I'll get into it. The Department of Justice press release stated that between December 1st, 2020 and March 1st, 2021, Harding committed two acts of wire fraud by participating in a scheme to defraud the Small Business Administration and for obtaining coronavirus-related small business loans by a means of materially false and fraudulent pretenses, representations, and promises, and for the purpose of executing such scheme caused wire communications to be transmitted in interstate commerce. Okay? Wire fraud. Wire fraud. Our favorite. The indictment also alleged that he, quote, made and caused to be made false and fraudulent SBA economic injury disaster loan applications and made false representations in supporting loan documentation in the names of dormant business entities submitted to the SBA. The indictment further alleges that Harding obtained fraudulently created bank statements for one of the dormant business entities, which were used as supporting documentation for one of his fraudulent idle loan applications. By this conduct, the indictment alleges that Harding fraudulently obtained and, obtained and attempted to obtain more than $150,000 in funds from the SBA to which he was not entitled. Nice. So he went, of, he went hard in the paint on this by making I mean, fake, uh, fake, bank fake, statements. fake bank statements. Yeah, fake that's ba- big yeah. time. Yeah. So yeah. a little bit more detail from a New York Times story. Harding applied for idle for two entities, one called Vac Shack. Uh, I don't know. And two yeah, Harding yeah. Farms. Right. He claimed that Va- they were... Vac Shack uh, <laughs> specializes in, uh, in Dyson vacuums. It's really the one-stop shop if you need any kind of suction device. Oh. And in Florida, that sounds about right. Right. <laughs> he claimed that they were active businesses in 2019 and 2020 with about 800000 in revenue and six employees between them. But... The businesses had not, in fact, been active since 2017. He had only attempted to reinstate them in the days leading up to his applications for the loans. So, yeah, that's not going to work, pal. No. Uh, no. These, as, as for those phony bank statements, he knowingly obtained fraudulently created bank statements for September and October 2020 for the Harding Farms business. Right. At the time so. of the indictment... At the at the time of the indictment, Harding said, quote, I want the public and my constituents to know that I fully repaid the loan and cooperated with the investigators as requested. Oh, they had to. Re- but they had to request, Joe. Right. Right. They exactly. <laughs> they had to request. Uh, so here's here's one of my favorite parts of this story. As I said earlier, he was indicted on December 7th, 2022. OK. Uh huh. And then he resigned from his seat in the Florida House on December eighth, twenty twenty-two. So how, wait, how how long apart was that? Uh, that the next day. That's one day. Yeah, <laughs> that's one day. Exactly one but, day. But this is the part I love. According to the DOJ press release, he began his scheme on December first, twenty twenty. Okay, uh-huh. he was elected to the Florida House of Representatives on November third, twenty twenty. Okay, so he waited <laughs> twenty-eight days. <laughs> before he decided to become a corrupt politician <laughs> that's four weeks four, four weeks, weeks in yeah really held out <laughs> power corrupts in in uh, one lunar month yeah <laughs> one one cycle of the moon to to abuse the to before he abused the power of his office right anyway one last thing again this story is full of them joe's brother-in-law guy by the name of patrick parker walsh also of Williston, Florida, also had a little run-in with COVID-19 oh, relief. No kidding. <laughs> relief aid fraud. Yep. Patrick Parker Walsh, which, yeah, I'm going to say all three names uh-huh. every time. Right. Patrick Parker Walsh was the CEO of AirSign Airship Group, which is a blimp company. Okay. Yep. A blimp company. All right. 
Those things come from somewhere. Apparently from uh, Airsign Airship Group. Anyway, Patrick Parker Walsh submitted 16 falsified Paycheck Protection Program Ooh. applications for nearly $12 million. He obtained only about five for what it's worth. Mm. He also submitted a total Only of- $5 million <laughs> right. of ill-gotten PPP. Less than half. Money. Yeah, geez. Really? Yeah. He also submitted a total of 18 fraudulent applications to the SBA for the idle, which we've been okay. talking about, for $2.8 million that were fully approved and dispersed. Oh, okay. So we got about $8 million, almost $8 million in wow. total. Patrick Parker Walsh's lawyer claimed that he took the loans out to save his business and also added, quote, his business skills are not the greatest. He took out high interest <laughs> loans and made some dumb choices, end of quote. Uh, which for a defense attorney, that is refreshingly on. <laughs> right, right. I wonder how that's part of like the defense like like uh, strategy. It's like you can't don't this guy's so stupid. I mean, come on, of course he's not gonna understand what the paycheck protection program is or the idol. I mean it's it's complicated, right? And my my Your he, honor. He, he reads it at a seventh grade level at best. How is he supposed to know what the fuck these are all about? I rest my case. Uh, Lionel Hutz, you know, <laughs> since, yes. we're, since we're dropping Simpsons characters. Exactly. Episode, apparently. Yep. Anyway, Patrick Parker Walsh pled guilty and was sentenced to 66 months in federal prison in January, 2023. But I haven't forgotten about Joe, Joe okay. Harding, Joe Harding on March 21st, 2023, pled guilty to wire fraud, money laundering and making false statements. He faces a maximum of 35 years in prison. I will be floored if he actually gets that right. uh, as of this recording. He is scheduled for sentencing on July 25th, 2023. So we'll see. So, Greg, did we learn anything? Caleb, unfortunately, uh, what I'm learning is I'm getting a mat with, with all these podcasts we do about pandemic f- uh, era frauds. Uh, what I'm, it's a masterclass on how to defraud the federal government. And that, that actually kind of makes, that kind of bums me out. Like, Mm. like legitimately does because again, and we've talked about this in, in other podcasts where I remember in the, the craziness and just the anxiety of the pandemic while it was happening and being an accountant and going, how do I comply with all these constantly changing rules? And you're just you're just going for compliance and you go, okay, there's a whole nother set of people out there that it seems like they're just waiting for some horrible thing to happen to the country or to their area. And mm. they're just ready to just like slide in and take advantage of it to to their own, you know, for again, for their own ill-gotten gain yep and 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 the the master class seems like it's this where i mean the the i guess the steps are yeah wait for a massive disaster and then because what we're looking at is we're looking at the people who got caught but one of the things that's apparent to me as we dig through the numbers and we dig through what's happening we look at the uh, inspector general reports and things like that is we yep. go there's a whole lot of there, there, we're looking at the people that got caught there are a ton of people that did not get caught yeah and so 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 again the game plan wait for that natural disaster and then just commit significantly less fraud than what's possible <laughs> and right. if you do that you you good you just got some free money buckaroo yeah. You might be and, able to and, afford and a condo like said, on the Big Island in Hawaii. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> that please, Caleb, don't insinuate that that was from my PPP loans. Am I? It was not at all. Jeez. Uh, so so uh, so basically, I'm saying that that uh, that I guess if you look at the the pandemic era fraud kind of the subset of our podcast that focus on those. It really does kind of, uh, um, our podcast bums me out from that perspective. Oh, yeah, shit. it does. But, but, but again, I mean, I don't want to just have like this negative view on the world that everybody out there's a bad uh, person. Um, there's also a lot of just stupid people, bad people and stupid people. Here's, here's what I mean by that with this, with this podcast specifically, 
we're talking about the idle loans. One of the things that I that I remember that I verified in preparation for this podcast is that idle loans they they did not have there was no possibility of forgiveness for mm-hmm. idle loans. It's it's right. legitimately just a loan. You yep. have to just pay back this money. And I remember terms that for generous terms for what it's worth. Very generous terms because it's very low interest rate. The maximum interest rate that a idle loan can have is 4%, which is a gr- a great interest rate, especially yep. at the time of this recording, it's a screaming interest rate and <laughs> yeah. When we look back, I even look back at at the loans during the pandemic, and I want to say that none of those loans even hit four percent. They were more like three point seven five, and I think for some, maybe for nonprofits, they were two point seven five, something like that. It was very, very great loans. Like I mentioned before, those the idle loans they had. It was about twelve months after you, they dispersed the funds when you actually had to start repaying the funds, and it's a thirty year term on those loans, so it's a very long, very you know. So your payments are going to be pretty pretty small uh, just because of the term of the loan, not to mention the very favorable interest rate. But that said, it's still a loan. Okay, there's the there's the $10,000 part that's a grant. That doesn't have to be repaid. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but even like you said, if you really look at it, the average amount was more like you know, $3,500 rather than $10,000. So the vast majority of this idle stuff was just loans that you had to repay. So what we're talking about with idle fraud is we're talking about loan fraud and loan fraud is arguably one of the stupidest kinds of fraud because you're not <laughs> getting money, you're just getting a, a fucking loan that yeah. you have to repay. And which again goes back to cuz cuz I made sure to put a put a, like underscore when we were talking about my guy Vinath Odomsign because his restitution was $85,000. His loan was $85,000. His restitution equaled his loan, which basically meant, hey, you know that loan we gave you? You got to pay it back. Well, no shit. That's what a fucking loan is. So justice served, I don't know, uh, which which is why it was very important to me to see that they also fined him $10,000 on top of that, because otherwise there's no punishment there. He just got 85,000 bucks that maybe he wasn't supposed to have the right credit to receive that. And he used it on a stupid Charizard card. But, uh, but regardless, he, he did get roasted by comic book, comic book he, guy in the He New York did, Times. which is justice, as we said before. There's a little bit of justice there. But even with that, you go, okay, you got to p- repay $85,000 of restitution. But we know enough about how restitution works to know that the feds confiscated his Charizard card. And yeah. whatever proceeds they got from that, clearly it wasn't going to be the $58,000 that that knucklehead paid for. But they got something for it. And that would go against the restitution that he had to repay to the government. So, uh, so, so again, just the other thing that we're learning is if you're going to commit fraud, don't commit loan fraud. It's the stupidest kind of fraud. Is that what we're trying to promote on the podcast is what kinds of fraud are the best kinds of fraud to perpetrate? And are we trying to teach people how to defraud the federal government and get away with it? No, we're not. But it, but which is why I'm so bummed out by these podcasts. Cause that's all that it seems like I'm learning from these kind of frauds. I um I have I I I don't know if I have anything to add other than it's I mean we've we've talked about it in several episodes which is the government's between a rock and the hard place it either either helps its citizens or it 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 makes perfect the enemy of the just fine and yeah. and people and and more people suffer and uh, yeah they they just kind of like they hope that they that the law enforcement will. Uh, catch enough bad guys that they can get their names in the paper just enough. You know? Right. But, or at least so that I guess I, the way I'd spin that is that there'd be enough press of people getting in trouble for abusing it, that it might make people pause before they engage in the similar type of fraud in a future disaster. Yeah. I mean, cause I have to say, you know, it's funny. I think we mentioned it. I think it was in the second PPP episode, which is episode 34, I believe. And like in that episode, and even in this one, the sentences that were getting handed down to these people 
kind of long. Yeah, <laughs> like they are. Yeah, they're, yeah, that's like there true. There was a couple. There was there was one in uh, the PPP episode where the guy got like eleven years. Yeah, the, the fact that Joe Harden could get thirty five years. I mean, like you said, he's not going to get anywhere near he's that. He's not going to get that. Even yeah, if but... he got a quarter of that, that's that's a pretty long time, especially yeah. with him saying he paid back the loan. Right. That's right. So that, yeah, I I hear that. It, well, it and is... his his brother in law here, who kind of went, kind of went, uh, kind of went for it. Um, yeah. He got sixty six months. I mean, you know, he probably he won't. He probably won't serve the whole sentence is that's something else we've learned over the course of doing this podcast right. is you right. know you you can chip away at those things but still even if he like if he serves if he serves half of it not great i mean i don't want to i personally don't want to give up three years of my life to like no be in a minimum security prison right but it's interesting what you said because some i doing this podcast i've learned so much you remember when we interviewed nathan muller yeah the the, the aig uh fraudster and he he ING. was telling us about the whole I, ing the whole ing uh, uh, thing. He he was telling us how the restitution process worked. Yep. And he was like, "You there's a there's a maximum percentage that they can garnish from your wages. They can't take everything because you still got to be able to live as a member of society. Yep. And then there's a specific date after which if you haven't repaid your restitution, you're just off the hook. Yep, so yep. again, when you look at my guy, Vinath Odomsign, and you think of that, you go, oh, well, having to pay restitution, he might not actually have to pay back his entire loan. Which So it's almost like just make him just keep the terms of the loan, and that's a better punishment than the actual punishment that he received from <laughs> doing the crime. Right. And uh, yeah, anyways. It's Nathan Muller, it's, Nathan Muller, episode 28. It's a, that's a great one. If you haven't good, listened to that episode. one, it is, it's fantastic. It is. Anyway. Well, that's it for this episode. And remember, don't spend your ill gotten gain on nerd loot unless you have unimpeachable nerd credentials. And also remember to think twice about passing anti LGBTQ legislation, because if you do, they're going to drop a tornado on your house that right on your living room. If you want to drop us a line uh, to communicate your thoughts about this podcast, uh, please send, we'd love to hear from you. And so send us an email at ohmyfraud at earmarkcpe.com. We love getting those. And if you've got a, a case that you know of, we get great tips on some amazing cases that we've done on the podcast. So if you've got a favorite fraud, let us know what that is too. We'd love to, to put it in our list of, of future episodes. Um, Caleb, if people want to find you specifically out there in the internet, where can they get a hold of you? I'm on Twitter at CNewquist and LinkedIn backslash Caleb Newquist. Greg, are you on the internet? I am, but it seems like less and less nowadays. Don't even try to engage me on Twitter because I haven't been <laughs> on there in months, but I do go on LinkedIn much more recently and I'm just uh, backslash Greg Kite. I'm Greg Kite CPA specifically. If you're looking for me, find the bald guy with glasses and a beard, and that's me. Oh, my fraud is written by Greg Kite and myself. Our producer is Zach Frank. If you like the show, leave a rating, leave us a review, share it with a friend. All of those things help people find the show, and we want people to find the show. You want people to find the show, so you yeah. can talk about you can talk about it with those people. And different people who rate podcasts, they love our show. And they're always like, I can't believe these guys only have 47 reviews or whatever we have. So help us become a more legitimate <laughs> podcast by leaving us a review. You got, it's a free podcast. You just got free CP for it. You got a second to go do that for us. It's not busy season. Come on, give us a hand. And while you're at it, subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get podcasts. And as Greg mentioned, if you're an accountant and you need CPE, if you listen on Earmark, yeah, you can get CPE. So little bonus for the yep. accountants out there. I, I have got so much CPE and I love it so hard for thank you, Earmark, for helping me maintain my CPE license. CPA license? CPA license. <laughs> Join us. Join us next time for more avarice swindlers and scams from stories that will make you say, oh, my, oh fraud. my fraud.